Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2. We are continuing our new series on the healing journey, Lessons in the Wilderness. From the Wilderness. Something about Lessons in the Wilderness. Hello, yeah. Father. Hello, Father. <laughs> I know. You're thinking that the Hebrew name for the Book of Numbers is, you know, um, you know um, yeah. Bamidbar in your... It's, 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 in a, num- it's yeah. ingrained there. In. Okay. Oh, yes. Well, today we are not only continuing the series, we're going to be... We're, we're talking about the role of Egypt uh, in, yes. in this series. So before we get into a heavier topic, um, I wanted to do an icebreaker. Okay. And you know what? I'm so excited. Now that we're on video, um, we, we're on YouTube, so people can comment and they could, they could partake in the icebreakers. Wink, wink. That's not terrifying. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so um, rapid fire icebreaker for today. Pen or pencil? Pen. Yeah. I almost never use a pencil. Yeah. Ever and like in your whole life or as an adult? Uh as in uh my whole life. Yeah. It was pen or felt tip. I mean, mm-hmm. I was like pen or super pen. It wasn't uh, I'm holding a pen right now. I have to say yeah. pen. But I love pens. I, I own I almost always have a pen and a pencil in my purse or wherever I'm going. Like I, I want access to both. Um, especially if I'm translating or doing things where that I want to be able to to change on. I'll yeah, for me, pencils were about art mm-hmm. and pen was about getting stuff done. All right. So tell us, do you prefer to write with a pen or a pencil? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Icebreaker. All right. Um, segue from there into our... My super pen has a cape. Anyway, yeah. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So last week we we set up the series um, of Exodus and and how God created. Well, God uses this in the Bible as a a model for um, not only Christian life but also uh, healing, the healing journey. And I'm excited to get more into that with you today. And um, we're going to start with Egypt as right a symbol of what, Father? What is Egypt is a Actually, uh, in our context, Egypt is a symbol of abuse, mm-hmm. right? Because, uh, well, just reading from the text, right? This is from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, so the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them, right, with forced labor. They built Pitham and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh, but the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread. Uh, the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, so they worked them ruthlessly, made their lives bitter, difficult. It has the word ruthlessly again. And then later on, uh, you know, God looks down on them and says, uh, I have seen, right, what's going on. I have heard their cry, and I'm going to, um, yeah, I'm going to help. So uh, in this sense, Egypt is is set up as a place of slavery, which has clear implications because the gospel is explained as freedom from slavery. That So Pharaoh is sort of parallel to sin, and the slavery is parallel to what the bondage that is caused by sin. And then there is this abuse element that says, okay, these people were ruthlessly oppressed, um, and it changed their whole identity, it changed their whole mindset, and it taught them not to trust. So the Egyptians are the bad guys in this particular thing. Now I have Egyptian friends. Egypt isn't yes. right. It's like the uh, this is. It's also I think one of the reasons why we don't get the name of the pharaoh, because the Bible is really less interested in teaching us history 
than it is in laying out a model. Mm -hmm. And so... And that's not to say it's not historical. Right. But no, it, it's it's historical. Yeah. But the, the point of it, if it was just to teach us history, it would be laid out totally differently. But it is laid out in such a way as to tell us a story. And the story it's trying to tell us is... Uh, Pharaoh is the quintessential bad guy here. And so he's the one who's responsible for the abuse. And uh, because of that, he is also one that God is going to judge very, very severely. And so we see something of God's attitude towards those who are abusive, kind of like Jesus said, it'd be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck than to, you know, do the abusive things to this ch to children. And Pharaoh, in this regard, is uh, we get to see what God did to Pharaoh in humiliating him, destroying his country, and destroying his army, and all that happened uh, between the plagues and the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. So let's let's get into it from from continuing from God's perspective. There there is this concept of groaning and God hearing um, that gets presented. So in in the abuse, uh, the people are groaning. And God hears them. So will you talk more about that? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with the Emanuel journaling process. And the Emanuel journaling process developed by uh, Dr. Wilder and some of uh, his friends, Anna Kang and uh, uh, John and some Xing Lop now. And the uh, it's it's you know, it starts with interactive gratitude to kind of get your relational circuits on so that you're more likely in a relational place to connect with God. And then it uh, – but it walks through this idea uh, where God says, I see you. And we see this with Hagar where God finds her in the wilderness and says, I see you there, you know. And one of the things he says to Moses is, I see what's going on with my people. I am not unaware of the hardship and the abuse and the things that are going on. I see it. And it's I hear is the next one. And God says, I, have, I hear their groaning. I hear their crying out for help. You know, and now I am, I'm doing something now to Moses' chagrin. He says, I'm sending you. Congratulations. This is my solution. I'm going to send you. And Moses was like, Please don't. <laughs> and I know a lot of people who've been called into this sort of ministry who love it, but I also know a lot of people who are more like Moses, like, can you please just ask somebody else to do this? Because this is hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, But then he equips him. He equips and him. And he gives him companions on the journey. He doesn't do it alone. No. and But, uh, but there's a role only Moses can play. Yeah. And uh, God has reasons for this. And... You know, in my own journey, I felt a, a strong affiliation with Moses, a uh, strong affinity with Moses throughout my my journey. In fact, uh, my mom and dad bought me a, a little statuette of Moses when I graduated with one of my degrees. I can't remember which one. <laughs> and the— uh, <laughs> It's right there. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but partly this idea that of sort of a reluctant leader who is called to help people find freedom and fight a battle— and, you know, just answer a calling and build something new. And so uh, I could connect to all of those because there have been a lot of times in my life where I was like, God, you know, here am I, send somebody else. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, but when God has purposes for why he wants the person that he wants doing the thing that he's called them to do. And so uh, my guess is that there's people out there listening to this who are have felt that same way, like, here am I, please send somebody else. And uh, don't understand that necessarily that this is at some level about you, and it's at some level it's about the fact that 
you, God has a reason why it's you. And it can be as much about our weaknesses as our strengths. And so uh, that was certainly the case with Moses. Yeah. So will you expound more on this concept of, of groaning and hearing in terms of um, our personal walk? Yeah. So the idea that um, God says, I've heard their groaning, that, that word is used again in Romans 8, right, where it says the whole creation is groaning and uh, looking for some kind of redemption. I think, and it even says like the Holy Spirit who intercedes, intercedes with groans too deep for for words. And so we get this idea that groaning throughout the Bible expresses this intensity of suffering, intensity of there are no words for what we're going through, and there are no words for how bad this is. And uh, creation has no words for what it's going through. The people of Israel had no words for it. And even the Holy Spirit at some level is just entering into that space of this is just relentlessly bad. And I think it's helpful for us to understand that God knows how bad it is. Um, he is not unaware, and it hasn't going on simply because he doesn't care. Uh, one of the things we learned is that I've learned a couple things from from this. One is that God always has a plan, and two is that God is not afraid of chaos. Like He creates order from it. Right. We tend to be afraid of the chaos. I, we don't want to step into the chaos. We don't want to deal with the chaos. We want to stop it, get the order, get the organization quickly. God's not afraid to hang out in the chaos for a while because he knows his plan for bringing order out of it down the road. Uh, in fact, when in working with uh, deeply wounded people, I began to simply refer to the phase that we're in right now uh, I, as the tunnel of chaos. I said, right now, we're simply in the tunnel of chaos. And that's sort of that space between asking for, realizing you need help, asking for help, starting the journey, getting off to a positive start, and then the bottom seems to fall out. Right. And you're like, wait a second, I thought everything was going to be better now. So we sort of see the tunnel of chaos in the Moses story when he goes to 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 the people and convinces them, yes, you know, you can go represent us to Pharaoh. And he goes to Pharaoh and he thinks this is all going to be great. And instead of it going great, Pharaoh says, oh, we're going to double the amount of suffering. Right? We're going to double how hard this all is. And Moses is like, wait, what? You know, uh, and he even says to God, I told you this would happen. Why didn't you listen to me? And I think there's a lot of us that feel that way. We're like, if you God say, would just— say, I told you so to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I told you so. If you just listen to me. And what we're really saying is, you know, we don't think he quite gets it. And it's one of the things that brings us back to the idea of the groaning, that he gets it. He does get it. He's just not afraid of the chaos, and he does have a plan. Because Moses, you know, God's response to Moses saying, you know, you don't, you know, this is what I told you was going to happen, was don't worry, I've got him right where I want him. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's just the classic, you know, I've got a plan, don't worry, this is all part of it. I've got him right where I want him, and just watch. Yeah. So next week we're we're gonna get more into unfolding that plan, <laughs> um, but I want to talk a little bit more about um, this idea of Egypt as a symbol of, of bondage or abuse and um, and how that impacts our ability to trust. Sure. Well, one of the things that really uh, 
you know, brought this to my attention is back in those early days when we were at my uh, parents' house working with uh, several really deeply wounded people. One of the things to notice was all of them had trouble trusting. And it, it reminded me of that old saying, you could lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It was like, it felt like we could get them right up to the brink. And I'm thinking, oh, we're almost through this. This is going to be great. And they would just, the brakes would hit and they were like, I can't do it. I don't, you know, I I'm not ready for this. And there was that I, I can't trust. And it was so frustrating for me because I just wanted this to be, you know, let's get this fixed fast. You know, that was mm -hmm. out of my my mindset. Healing and, is right here. Yeah, healing's yeah. right there. Just take that one more step and we're there. And and I wanted this to be fast. They wanted to be fast, but the reality is it wasn't going to happen without faith. There had to be trust. And they just hadn't had enough of a journey with God yet to trust him. What is trust? And so trust is <clears throat> I don't have a pithy definition yes. for trust just waiting to come out, but uh, in my mind, this is the image, and that is there's a light switch on the wall, on-off switch on the wall, and uh, what I would often tell people who are struggling to trust God is you don't have to completely trust God. You don't have to have, like, no doubts. You just have to trust enough to flip the switch. So in other words, trust manifests itself in obedience. And so the question is, do you trust him enough to take this one step of obedience? So sometimes that was, do you trust him enough to forgive this person? And saying, even though I don't feel it, even though I don't understand it, I know it's what you want me to do. So I'll trust you enough to say the words, I choose to forgive this person, right? We did that a hundred times with, with with folks. And it's a... Uh, um, part of that. So I look at trust as uh, really it's confidence. It is the confidence to take a step of faith. But I also look at it as faith like a grain of mustard seed, that God's like, what is that? What is faith like a grain of mustard seed? To me, it is, I really don't trust God much, but I'll give it a shot. I'll do it his way and see what happens. To me, that's faith like a grain of mustard seed. I trust him just enough to give it a shot, mm -hmm. even though I really don't expect much. Yeah, trust is a very relational word too, because you are you're not just it's not just the confidence that if I turn on this, if I flip the switch, the light will come on. Um, but you're also putting trust in a person um in this case too. It's so there's there's the confidence aspect and there is the personal relational aspect. Right. And even in the light switch thing, the the point we were trying to make was uh if I tell you to turn on the light and I tell you that mm -hmm. turning on that switch will make a light come on, you're trusting me by uh, enough to try the switch. Mm -hmm. And so when I tell you, if you forgive this person, good things will happen, do you trust me enough to give that a try? And so, yeah, it's a very relational word. In fact, when we talk about attachment theology throughout the Bible and, you know, bonding to God— uh, I think that trust is one of those core words that really captures the idea of attachment well, because uh, when I uh, I can be starting to form an attachment with somebody and I can become more deeply attached, more deeply attached. And as I do, if that is a, a love bond, I am more trust is going to be uh, the result of that. So the more that uh, so trust 
knowing God, trusting God, obeying God are all integral parts of loving God. And so all of those things kind of work together to form a deeper attachment uh, with him. And so, again, uh, most people who are abused because they've gone through horrendous things uh, don't trust God because he let the abuse happen. So why in the world would they trust him in the future? If he's willing to let something like that happen, how can I trust him with things of the future? In the same way, the uh, the, uh, the survivor mentality that comes out of that is, well, at least I know I'm going to get food. At least I know I'm going to get shelter. At least I can count on this. And so all of your relationships become very transactional, right? It's not a whole lot of trust in this tran- this relationship. Um, it's very much of a, I do this, you do that, you do this, I, you know, I reciprocate. And so that was the the mindset going uh, that God had to deal with, that he was trying to redeem and um, bring them back from. And it was, it's a big challenge because it's, re- it's a really deeply ingrained thing. And you're not just changing how people believe and the choices they're making. You're, cho- you're helping to transform their ability at a heart level to form attachments and to trust people and to trust God and to, in that process, form a, a, a deeper bond with him. And so that, that is, it makes sense that that would take time. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to just keep unpacking this as the series goes on, and I'm, I'm loving it. Would you, do you have any final thoughts on this episode and um, the, the context that we're— Sure. Yeah. So when I teach Exodus, right, my, I usually teach it almost like a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that there is a a young woman who is being held captive by the evil Pharaoh, almost like Dudley Do-Right back in the day. And, you know, uh, Penelope Pitstop, I think was her name, whatever. There was this, uh, you know, the fair maiden was always, you know, tied up by the evil, you know, villain and laid on the train tracks kind of thing. Or, you know, the princess in the tower guarded by the dragon kind of idea. So what's happening here is that God had made a promise to Abraham that someday he was essentially going to marry, you know, that he'd have uh, an heir, he'd have, uh, you know, a people group come up from him. And in in metaphorical terms, that would be the daughter and God was going to marry her. So now the daughter he has promised to marry is a slave, is being abused, is being oppressed, and this is the object of God's love. And so you look at this going, well, you know, if God loves so much, how did this happen? Well, part of it is God's now going to rescue the one that he loves and demonstrate just how much he loves this this bride. So in the story of Exodus, what you get is you get God rescues the bride, and then God marries the bride at Mount Sinai, and then he builds the tabernacle, built a house where he can share you know, it's kind of like their first home together um, as husband and wife. And so there is this element of romance that is actually over the entire picture. It also reemphasizes the idea that despite the fact that they're going through horrible things, it's not because God doesn't love them. God actually loves them enough that they are his chosen people. They are his special people out of their treasured, his treasured possession that out of all the nations on earth, they're going to uniquely, you know, belong to him. And I think that that's the case for a lot of, uh, 
also for people who go through deep wounds and deep hurt is it can feel like, how could God possibly love me and let this happen? But it's not the whole story. And so as we let the whole story play out, we begin to see that actually sometimes some of the people who go through the hardest things are people God loves, dare I say, the most, right? That God has a special place of fondness for them in his heart. And I think that that's very true. Thank you. I'm excited to continue talking this this through. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the trail today. Did you like this episode? Would you like more people to see it? This is the part where I ask you to like, comment, subscribe, share with a friend. And hey, do you love this channel? One of the best ways that you can support us is by becoming a Deeper Walk Trailblazer. Thanks again. We'll see you back on the trail next week.